So let's start talking about the global creative megacity. So I got this quote from when cities rule the world. In this century, it will be the city, not the state, that becomes this nexus of economic and political power. Already, the world's most important cities generate their own wealth and shape national politics as much as the reverse. So that's just uh, a kickoff for what we're going to bring today. And the way we, we built this, when I was talking to uh, share with David, with uh, Henry and Sam Ford at, uh, at FOE, we brought, we're bringing something that's going to be, that's the first time it's shown outside Brazil. So it's a huge project we're launching here that involves some of the panelists. So we're going to talk now about the Center for the Futures of Entertainment that will somehow be a thread of the conversation we're going to have after all the panelists uh, start a conversation. So what's the idea of the center? It's a global think tank led by the city of Rio, where private sector, academia, and public sector, we work together to foster innovation and experimentation for development and social change through the creative economy and entertainment industries. So that's the challenge. Since we're talking about creative cities, how do we get the most important stakeholders, private sector, public sector, and academia, to change countries and cities through creative economy and entertainment industries. And, uh, and the honor of, uh, of being here after starting at MIT in 2007 on, the, on FOE 2, uh, those are the, the, the companies and institutions involved uh, in this project. So it's, uh, it's good that we're having uh, Sergio and Ernie here because that's an effort that mixes three, three different cities. We're talking about the start that was here in Cambridge and Boston, we're talking about Rio and we're talking about LA. So those are the, the, the institutions involved. So we're talking about the Annenberg Innovation Lab through uh, University of Southern California, the Futures of Entertainment. We have Hio Film from, from Sergio, representing the city of Rio, who's going to be the lead in the city of Rio, representing the state, which is really good that we are having not only the city, but the state too. We have the Creative Rio, which is a creative economy division led by the state of Rio, and we have ESPM through their creative economy division. ESPM is the most important marketing uh, university in Brazil. And last but not least, and that's also new for even for those who know about the, the, the Center for the Future of Entertainment, we brought actually the social part that will glue all that and will de deliver what we believe creative cities can develop to the world, is that this is a Sonda Cidadania, which is one of the most important uh, social foundations in Brazil. They, have, they are 18 years old and they have been fighting hunger for the last 18 years. And now they're going to be the social arm to, uh, to implement all the, the, the innovations of the, the center throughout the country in Brazil. So a little bit about them. So they have 700 offices in 20 Brazilian states. They have a huge network assessing the fringe. They are in the fringe of the country. So it's important that we, we're going to bring that, and I think that Parmash is going to bring a very important trend regarding that. Okay, so a tale of three creative cities, right? Getting a little bit of Dickens to quote here, the, this slide. So what we have, the idea, is that we're going to make this triangle through three events. So we have FOE that starts uh, today, and... On the East Coast, we're going to have, we have Transmedia Hollywood and the Annenberg Innovation Lab leading all the fronts on the West Coast. And we're going to have this 
these two connecting to Rio. So we're going to have FOE every August in Brazil, making FOE Latin America. And the idea, that's why the, the ball is bigger, is that we're going to have the center for the future of entertainment being the first hub of all those expertises uh, and experiences. And the idea is that that's going to be a way to spread the world, the, the world and studies and trends through the world. And of course, there is a, the way back too. That's something we discuss a lot. That what are the good practices regarding creative cities, creative economies, and, uh, create, uh, and entertainment industries uh, for innovation into countries and cities? So uh, before we go to, to Ernie, we, we, we try to make a very tangible uh, how can I say, image on how it would work because it's really, really easy to talk about creative economy, creative cities on theory. How do you, do you develop a model? And that's, I think that's one of the questions that the panelists will answer even better than me is how do we really foster experimentation, innovation to make change into those cities? So we developed it at The Alchemist uh, a model so we can try to explain to you how the center would work. So we have the center in the middle, and we have these four stakeholders, academy and startups and producers. We're gonna, you're going to understand why they are yellow. And we have public sector and private sector, OK? It's not working? OK. One. I keep talking or just testing? It's working? No, mine is not working, just the plugin. One, two, it's working? Okay. So uh, what do they bring to the table? What's the, the idea of what they bring? So the blue color bring, shows what they bring to the table, what they offer, and the, the, the center is going to be a hub of all that. So we have the academy bringing studies and trends. We have both the private and public sector bringing resources, challenges and information. That's something that uh, many of the, the, of, the, uh, of the projects we see into creative cities, people ignore information. They just want resources and challenges. They don't think that cities can, they have a lot of information to share. Uh, and we have startups and producers bringing formats, scripts, tools, and softwares. And what the center gives back to those stakeholders. So. It gives to, acad to Academy the information, challenges, and the opportunity, uh, the opportunity of experimentation. That's something we have been discussing a lot with uh, Henry, with Jonathan Tapling at the Annenberg Innovation Lab on how can we make acad acad academia more close to experimentation, how we can give the opportunity of, to academia to really go deeper into the issues they study for many, many years. The private sector will get back innovative solutions based on value, and the public sector will have innovative tools, value for society, because they are the stakeholder that is more di direct in touch with, uh, with society. And the startups and producers, they're going to have resources, challenges, and innovative R&D capacity. That's something that's happening now. The creative cities, they have thousands of startups starting as we speak, but they, are, they never reach those stakeholders. They are never able to reach a, a possible client on the public sector, or even to bring a solution to the public sector, not even as a client. The private sector, the same. And they, they, sometimes they are startups, they come out of acad academia, but they lose touch with academia. So that's the idea here about the R&D capacity. So we have society here. 
And that's why we, we try, we, I said that we would explain. So uh, academia and startups, they are the input axis. So that's where we absorb the, the, the assets. And through the public sector and the private sector, we share knowledge. We share tools. We share innovations. We share new ways of using uh, the creative economy to, to change society. So first society, we have for, on the public sector, we have direct value for society. And on the private sector, we have indirect value for society. Okay? And to end the, my introduction, I brought four images that are very powerful for what we believe uh, should be our vision of how a creative city should think about fostering wealth, fostering innovation, but also social change. So in the left, we have uh, a study that Henry developed with the MacArthur Foundation when he was here at MIT, confronting the challenges of participatory culture, media education for the 21st century. So how media, entertainment, and education can make huge changes. In the top, we have Market Watch, uh, a blog from the Wall Street Journal, talking about the possible next Silicon Valley at USC Edinburgh. So there we're talking about wealth. We're talking about innovation. We're talking about disruption, okay? To the right, everybody recognizes this podium. So it's Henry on the first, I think, FOE. And Puff Daddy, everybody knows Puff Daddy. And uh, so that is a place of conversation, a place of people just doing what we're doing now, sharing knowledge, breaking bread around what can change the world through entertainment. In the middle, this guy, Brazilians know him really well. His name is uh, Herbert de Souza. He died, I think, eight years ago. He was the, the founder of Ação. And he, every year, this guy, he could get like 50 tons of food to fight hunger in Brazil. And now they are repositioning themselves through the creative economy. They are going to be, they're going to apply what the center develops into cities all over Brazil. Into ve in the fringe, into poor uh, uh, regions. So now, Ernie, I leave it to you. Thank you. Okay. obrigado. Boa noite. Ni hao. Bonjour. Como está? You have to help me. Namaste. Namaste. Yes. Okay. Good. Okay. So I think I've covered most of the, uh, a lot of the world there. I, I really am delighted uh, to be here. I think it's a very, very exciting project. Um, I want to thank uh, Mauricio for inviting me to participate. Um, I also want to thank uh, uh, a former denizen of this neighborhood, uh, Henry Jenkins, who has moved out to what we call the left-hand coast. <laughs> Um, and so it really is a pleasure to be here. I just want to sort of rattle off um, a couple of things that I hope will provoke uh, some conversation, and then we can actually get engaged in that two-way conversation. First of all is that cities have always been creative. They have been the nodes that have generated civilizations and advances and also backward steps, but they've always been important. Uh, if you have not read the wonderful book by Ian Morris on how the West or why the West rules the world, dot, 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 for now, uh, it's a great thing to download. It's about 900 pages long, but you download it on an iPad. You don't know the difference that it's that ridiculously large. Um, but it does point to the history going back to the dawn of time of cities. 
But having said that, um, as um, uh, a number of people have said, that the importance of cities is growing. And the World Bank has said this, OECD has said this. So one way to think about it is that if the 19th century was the century of empire, and the 20th century was the century of the nation state, then it is likely that the 21st century is going to be the century of cities. For the first time in human history, more human beings will live in large cities than at any time before uh, uh, on Earth. So that's a really, I think that's something that's very useful to keep in mind and underscores the importance of, of what we're doing. Since I'm a professor, I have to take off my watch and do this, otherwise I will give a 90-minute lecture. Uh, or before that, I know Mauricio will sort of chop me off. So I got three minutes left. Um, another, I just got back from China. And while I was in China, they had the uh, leading cadres of the 18th Party Congress meet uh, in Beijing. And they said that the issue for the next four to five years is going to be one thing. This is what the party's going to pay attention to. And it's what the, uh, the government's going to pay attention to, culture. This is the Communist Party saying this. The last time they said what it was, uh, the peaceful rise of China was another theme. They're now saying, we want to devote more attention to culture than in any other thing. And there are domestic reasons for that, and I'd be happy to talk about why that should be the case. Internationally, what they have said is that we want to engage in cultural diplomacy, in cultural diplomacy. And it was fascinating to be there when this was just about to be announced, because my Chinese friends were also saying, we wonder what that's going to mean. Is that going to be a chauvinist definition of culture, or a sophisticated and uh, cosmopolitan definition of culture? We don't know. But it points to the importance of cities talking to cities. Shanghai and Beijing, for example, talking to Bombay, otherwise known as Mumbai, but Bombay. Um, or Los Angeles, or other great cities. So I think that's a very important thing to, to keep in mind. Um, at the Annenberg School for Communication and Journalism, we are going through what MIT is going through and what uh, the folks at the Berkman Center at Harvard are going through, which is we, are, we, we study communications. We are in an environment where everything is upside down and inside out, and our task is to educate and train the next generation of people who are going to lead moving forward. And we are not sure how to do that. And so these kinds of experiments that we're doing are hugely important, the kind of alliances that my school has never had before. And I'll say a little bit more about that uh, in closing. But our view at the Annenberg School, with the Annenberg Innovation Laboratory, John Taplin is here and his colleagues, we either innovate or we die. Even universities, if we do not innovate, your university, whatever university you're at now or came from, will be irrelevant. So we have to take big risks, engage in different ways, and this cities, this me creative megacities project is one way uh, to do that. Uh, let me suggest some concrete ways we might think about a creative megacities project. So I want to go from sort of the blah, blah, blah up here to the, sort of the concrete. Um, Let's say that there are two dimensions that we could examine as we think about creative megacities. One is, how does a creative megacity get to be a creative megacity? I mean, there are a lot of megacities that aren't creative, right? So what is it, what's the combination of 
culture and history and warfare and peace and economy and what governments do and what universities do that leads to a creative megacity. So it's that kind of ontological, historical dimension that's important. It's important both for the cities themselves, because if they stop doing what they were doing to get to be creative megacities, they will be uncreative megacities. Uh, and some of us in LA have some concerns about that, actually, to be quite frank. Um, so it's the origin, sustainability, et cetera. And that is also important for cities that are not now creative megacities, but would like to be. So if this project moves forward, there will be two to 300 cities around the world who will want to find out what's the secret sauce that they can borrow and use to become creative megacities. So that's one dimension. The second dimension is that there are a huge number of transactions, global transactions, linking up the creative megacities. If we could do one of those great um, um, cloud illustrations of transactions back and forth, that's something we should maybe think about it. Look at the transactions, capital transactions, talent transactions, intellectual property transactions moving back and forth. So when you go to uh, India right now, to Bombay, the question is, well, Reliance just put $300 million into uh, Steven Spielberg's uh, uh, film business. Disney has just put a big chunk of $3.4 billion into a theme park in Shanghai, from LA to Shanghai. Every day on the airplane, every day in LA, there's a conference on China and the movie industry. And the rooms are packed. So my, my point is that, uh, yes, we want to know the ontology of how a non-creative small city becomes a creative megacity. But we also want to know the nature of those transactions that link them up. What is each partner trying to gain from that? Frankly, the LA people are a little nervous because they think that the other folks are going to steal not so much their intellectual property rights in terms of the content of the story, hugely important, but Hollywood really knows how to put that stuff together you know, in, in an industrial sense. Um, but we also have to talk about museums, we have to talk about symphonies, we have to talk about poetry. And the final point I want to make, um, uh, two more quick ones. One is that, as uh, w w that Mr. Mota just uh, put up, is that the linkages are not just to creative communities. In order to understand these megacities, their ontology and their links to other, you do have to lay out the four points that Mauricio identifies. Uh, I've been lucky enough to do a study for about the past 10 years looking at innovation and sustainable innovation and where it comes from. And it comes from one place. It's, it's a diamond-shaped thing, which we might call a quad. Government, private sector, uh, universities, and nonprofits. Where those relationships are <coughs> robust, built on trust, sustainability and innovation happens. You think of LA, you think of Route 128, where we are here, they're successful. You think of Northern Europe. You think of other places like Houston, Texas. They don't have this thing. You think of Italy or Greece, frankly, from my research, they don't have this quad. And so they cannot sustain their innovation 
and their culture. And so as we think about moving forward, uh, that we have to draw people from those four sectors. So concretely on the, on the table, a proposal. Wouldn't it be interesting to have a project that brought together Los Angeles, Bombay, Shanghai, and Rio de Janeiro to engage in a conversation where representatives from each of those four sectors would come together over a period of years and learn from one another, create trust, exchange ideas, intellectual property rights and ideas. Um, and one has to say that Rio is a great city to include in this because we're having a, a debate, an argument last night, a debate uh, um, about, about this issue. And if you have to think of a city in the world, or maybe three or four cities in the world, that as soon as you say the name, you get the culture. Maybe Paris, you know, maybe Paris, maybe New York, but Rio de Janeiro? What's not to know and like? <laughs> um, and so I think if, if, if in terms of the identification, not only at the elite level, the fancy dancing museums, but also at the popular level, which is where all the vitality comes from, then if one links up those four cities, Bombay, LA, um, Shanghai, and Rio de Janeiro, then that could be pretty cool. So I think being cool should be one of our principal criteria <laughs> in selecting sexy. this. And sexy and fun. So I, I, on, that, I, on that note, I will stop. Okay. Uh, and pass it to my colleague. Right. Thank you, Ernie. Thank you. Can I put the video, Sergio? Yeah, so it's my time. It's your okay. time. <laughs> well, uh, so it's an honor to be, uh, to be here. Uh, I'd like to thank everybody, and especially uh, uh, Mauricio, Professor Heron Jenkins, and well, everybody who made uh, uh, this seminar possible. And first, I'd like to show you two videos. Uh, the first one is a message from uh, Mr. Eduardo Paz, the mayor of Rio. As Mauricio said, uh, he wasn't able to come but uh, he was able to record a message uh, for you. And uh, then uh, I'd like to show you a, a video about uh, creativity in Rio. And then I will speak a few words to you. Thanks. Let's try to see if without light it works. No? Okay, let's keep the light up. Okay. Since we live in a connected transmedia world, I decided to make this video to share with you some thoughts about creative cities, a real important theme to Rio. Even before the creative city concept was forged, Rio was, and has been at least since the 19th century, a city based on creativity. Let's think about Carnival, one of our trademarks. It's a massive popular celebration and a very relevant business that started as a religious ceremony 200 years ago and was subverted and transformed by people's creative, 
through the years. Rio is nowadays the major city in Brazil when we talk about new and influential trades and creative industries. As we say here, Brazil's cultural capital. The main center for our growing audiovisual industry, for Brazilian music, for performing arts, for cultural institutions and so on. But the importance of creativity in Rio goes beyond that. It's a part of how we live, how we work, how we think, how we connect, how we feel and do things. The economic and social development of Rio are based on creativity. Since 2009, we decided to put the creative economy issue as a key element in Rio's agenda in order to increase Rio's role as Brazil's cultural and creative capital, to increase business and innovation, to generate more wealthy and jobs, to promote the positive clash of creativity and technology. The idea is to achieve the full potential of Rio in this field through some strategic public policies. So it was not a coincidence that almost one year ago, we were elected to host a Creative World Forum 2012 and to become a creative district as a response for the investments and discussions we have been having on design, fashion and cinema. This year, we had a great surprise when Professor Henry Jenkins presented to us the Center for the Futures of Entertainment, an innovative space where the public and the private sector would challenge thinkers from all over the world and startups from Rio to develop new solutions for the city for entertainment and education. The city of Rio is supporting the center. That said, I hope you have an amazing time tonight. I will leave you with a video that tells a little bit why Rio is one of the creative magazines. Thank you very much. Que musa inspiradora melhor para o processo criativo do que o Rio de Janeiro? O Rio é quem faz o Rio de Janeiro? Os personagens, as pessoas que vivem no Rio de Janeiro é que fazem o Rio de Janeiro. O Carioca é um cara muito é, sociável, sabe? A sociabilidade, a vontade de estar na rua é uma coisa que gera muita criatividade, porque a criatividade ela nunca acontece sozinha. Nós não somos mais criativos que as outras culturas, que os outros países, as outras cidades, mas nós somos uma nova, diferente, fresh. da população carioca, ela é por natureza heterogênea. A formação de velha capital, ela agregou diversos perfis, seja raciais, culturais, é, econômicos, sociais. Todos esses perfis que se misturaram nessa cidade, deu de uma certa maneira uma base, uma estrutura forte para que as pessoas pudessem apresentar tipologias, maneiras de se comportar diferente. Essas conexões com gente diferente é o que faz com que a inspiração realmente aconteça. Essa questão democrática do Rio que me faz, inclusive, poder trabalhar uma vez com ouro e a outra vez com pet, e a outra vez misturando o ouro com a pet, o que para outros lugares é absurdo, para o Rio é normal. o Pão de Açúcar, que é um monumento natural lindíssimo, completamente esconso, né, orgânico. Ele é completamente diferente de costas, do que de lado, do que de frente. Então, as perspectivas são completamente imprevisíveis. Eu acho que essa imprevisibilidade da perspectiva carioca é inspiradora sempre. Eu moro no Vidigal. É, eu abro minha janela e o Vidigal é incrível. 
você tá ali, você tá sobre o mar, você tem verde, ao mesmo tempo você tem essa cidade que ela é espremida, né? A natureza espreme ela ali. Então, a, a grande população, assim, os pobres e a classe média e os ricos medianos, quer dizer, as pessoas comuns, elas circulam, elas se encontram. Existem lugares nessa cidade onde, onde isso é possível. Nós, em questão de cinco minutos, a gente pode sair de uma reunião, um escritório, num ateliê, se comunicando com o mundo inteiro, criando desde que é software tecnológico ou, ou um quadro. Em cinco minutos caminhando, você está na beira da praia. E está na beira de uma praia rica, bela, com uma diversidade. Mais alguns minutos a gente chega numa floresta, numa floresta de origem de Mata Atlântica, né? maior floresta urbana do mundo. Você tem banho de cachoeira. Se quiser, em dois, três minutos, você está numa rede Globo, uma das maiores networks de televisão do mundo. O momento é catalisador, o momento é, é um momento de transformação. Então, acho que todas as boas soluções têm hoje espaço para acontecer. Eu nunca vi um futuro é, tão glorioso para o Rio de Janeiro, com tanta coisa acontecendo ao mesmo tempo. E é muito importante que sejam muitas coisas. pronto para nos assistir, nós estamos agora com eventos que nos abrem para fora, mas não adianta só isso não, o mundo sabe que a gente tem alguma coisa boa para mostrar, quer experimentar isso, agora está na hora de a gente botar a mão na massa e mostrar o que nós somos e o que nós temos. Que bom que eu estou no Rio de Janeiro hoje em 2010, sabe? que bom que eu vou estar aqui e poder aproveitar essa oportunidade que a cidade vai ter de se reinventar. Se eu tivesse que escolher, se eu fosse um habitante do mundo, e eu tivesse que escolher um lugar para fazer o meu negócio ou para viver, eu certamente escolheria o Rio de Janeiro. So if anybody wants to go to Rio, I'm selling tickets. Yeah. And... I just asked him, I said, when is the next flight leaving? <laughs> okay, so uh, thanks for your attention. I will do only uh, some remarks uh, here. Uh, <clears throat> I think the main challenge of our uh, lives, of our existence as individuals and uh, uh, um, society is to uh, escape from irrelevance, uh, to uh, be uh, proactive in the building of uh, the future. And the building of the future, of course, starts now. We're doing it, we're shaping it. So uh, that's what we are really trying to do in Rio right now. For many years, uh, Rio uh, were um, <clears throat> Rio underestimated itself, its potential, its uh, assets, its um, character, its flavors. And now uh, the challenge that we are really uh, facing is we are finally, uh, we finally realized that Rio can uh, play a major role in the shape of Uh, the future, not only the future of entertainment, but uh, 
thinking uh, the future as an holistic uh, thing. So we can be uh, major players, and that's what we uh, have to, to do. That's something that nobody will do for ourselves, but the city and the people from Rio uh, must uh, think in this way and do it. So that's what we are really trying to do in Rio de Janeiro uh, right now. Uh, so Rio really aims to uh, have a major role in the future of entertainment, in the future of knowledge, uh, <clears throat> in the future of the world. Uh, as the mayor said, uh, Rio has always uh, be, been a, a creative uh, uh, city. Uh, it was improved uh, in the 19th century when uh, the Portuguese court arrived in Rio because Rio were a colony from Portugal and the Portuguese court escaped from uh, the Napoleon troops. And so they brought the whole court, artists, the national library, uh, writers, creators, and, and so on to Rio. This was a major event. And uh, uh, since then, uh, Rio is uh, really a city uh, uh, based on uh, cultural uh, diversity. It's something that uh, 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 shaped the city, the way uh, the city is. But uh, uh, we cannot rely on what we have. We have to take advantage of that uh, in order to, as I said, escape from uh, uh, irrelevance. Another uh, interesting aspect is that uh, creativity uh, uh, was uh, um, a main way uh, for the people, not only of Rio, but in Brazil, to uh, overcome adversity. Uh, it's, it's amazing because we can find many, many examples of that, how people use it, uh, its creativity to overcome uh, uh, um, uh, the, the law, the establishment, uh, social adversity, and, and, and so on. Uh, well, <clears throat> that's uh, one of the uh, assets uh, of the city. I think Rio de Janeiro is a city uh, based on cultural diversity. And it's interesting because cultural diversity is one of the main elements to an environment where creativity can flourish. As Freedom, cultural diversity. They are the both key elements to, uh, to uh, uh, an environment where creativity can uh, flourish. Uh, <clears throat> so um, as we saw in the video, uh, we are in a very, very good moment in, in Rio de Janeiro, not only because of this huge events like the Olympics and the uh, FIFA World Cup and so on, but because uh, uh, we have now uh, 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 came to a moment in the city where we really have the private sector, uh, the public sector, governments, universities, thinkers, artists, the common people. We are really focused on uh, um, build a new future for our city. Uh, we are in the middle of a process, a huge, a gigantic process of urban development, urban renovation. 
We have nowadays in Rio de Janeiro uh, more than 1,000 uh, points of, of uh, 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 public uh, works in the city. Uh, we uh, have lots of things, uh, lo lots of things going on at the same time. We are building huge uh, cultural and arts institutions as the Museum of Tomorrow, as the uh, MAR, the new museum for arts. But at the same time, we have lots of uh, what we call their uh, uh, cultural points, which, is, which are, are small uh, cultural groups from communities, from the favela. Uh, the government gives them uh, some, some money, some support, some training in order to then to flourish to uh, uh, improve their skills, but uh, the government doesn't uh, touch uh, what they, they, they do. They do the same thing as they did before, but with yeah, more tools and better results. So lots of things uh, are happening uh, uh, at the same time. And <clears throat> so that's why I think uh, uh, the, the main point is the issue of creativity and the issue of uh, creative industries are a part of Rio's agenda right now. And it's not just talk. Uh, we're talking about the strategic development, development plan for Rio, what we call Rio uh, 2020. So it's a plan that the, the City Hall of Rio put together, working with lots of different uh, institutions, not only the uh, local government. And one of the six areas of this strategic plan is uh, creative industries. So uh, uh, everything that uh, the city government uh, do, uh, <clears throat> the city government do, under this, uh, this plan. So uh, everybody uh, have the uh, creative industries uh, subject agenda in their minds. Uh, uh, I work at Rio Filme. Rio Filme is a very uh, uh, interesting uh, case, I think, of a public investment, government investment in a creative industry. Uh, it's a company. Uh, it works mainly as a private company, but we are owned by the city of Rio. And we are a contract between the company, we have a contract between the company and the city, which is based on results. So we have to achieve some goals, we have to generate uh, results. If we generate those results, the city will still give us some money to invest in the development of Rio de Janeiro's uh, audiovisual uh, industry. And uh, we are doing this since 2009. And uh, luckily, we are, we are achieving those goals. So everything is going <coughs> on. Our main uh, goal is to promote the development of Rio de Janeiro's uh, audiovisual industry. The challenge is to uh, build uh, 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 an audiovisual industry in a contemporary uh, um, situation, so we're not trying to uh, to emulate uh, models. We're not trying to do Hollywood in Rio. We are trying to do uh, contemporary uh, audiovisual uh, industry facing the challenges of uh, uh, these times. 
And so we were trying to shape our own uh, <coughs> model. Uh, we, what we do at Film, we basically invest uh, in uh, projects by companies uh, based in Rio. Those projects can be um, the production of films, the distribution of films, um, but not only films. We're dealing with TV series, we're dealing with video games, we're dealing with transmedia projects. Uh, the only, we have two main criteria. First one is uh, the companies and the main creators involved must be from Rio de Janeiro. They must live uh, there. Uh, and um, we aim to recoup the money that we put in projects. And that's, uh, the idea of that is to, to have everybody uh, has the same uh, commitment to be sustainable. And we as a company, we are trying to be sustainable as well. So the idea is that in like two years, the company will not uh, need any more the money from the city because we will base it on our own uh, revenues, the revenues of the investments that we, we did. At the end of this year, for the first, first time, we will be a profitable uh, company and all the money will be reinvested in new projects and the idea is to uh, create a, a, a circle. So, <coughs> uh, I will have, uh, uh, I would like to have uh, later uh, I'll pass the, the word, but uh, I, I, I'd like to have an opportunity to share with you uh, some projects that we are doing there, because uh, I think we, we could have great results. They are not only uh, 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 visual projects, but they are social experiments as well. Uh, for instance, we created a 3D uh, digital theater in a favela in Rio de Janeiro. So it's a theater with the same patterns of uh, comfort and quality that the best theaters in the rich zones of Rio uh, have. And we are showing pretty much the same films there. All the distribution companies agreed to, get, to give us uh, new releases, so we're showing. And, so, uh, and in nine months, we saw there uh, almost 70,000 tickets, which is the same population of the neighborhood. The neighborhood has 70,000 people. Uh, of course, uh, not <laughs> all of them were. And 85% of those 70 people went to the theater for the first time in their lives. And we are doing now a project with all the schools around and the, the, the students are coming to the theater by morning. And the teachers are uh, taking the films to, uh, uh, to improve uh, the uh, education experience uh, in, 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 in the schools. Uh, so it's, uh, uh, we don't know what, what can, can, can came out of this, uh, we hope, uh, but um, <clears throat> I think we are, really uh, boosting the uh, creativity of the people from that favela. Uh, the name of, of the favela is well known around the world. It's Complexo uh, do Alemão. It uh, used to be one of the most violent uh, places in Rio de Janeiro. 
until December last year, it was uh, an area uh, dominated by drug dealers. And right now, uh, people there are totally <clears throat> uh, free from that situation. And they have uh, a theater, like I, I said. So um, the main idea that I would like to, ch to share with you is uh, I think finally Rio de Janeiro is fulfilling uh, its historic destiny. For many, many, many years, uh, people in Brazil used to uh, call itself uh, Brazil, it's the country of the future. But that future never arrived. And I think finally, at least in Rio de Janeiro, at least with all the things that, is, that are happening there, uh, we are making Rio uh, the city of future, but we are making it now. And so, opens lots of opportunities, lots of things are happening, and that's what we uh, think this uh, Center for the Futures of Entertainment will uh, deal with and will help us to shape. Thank you. Just click and Well, as the only corporate type of person, someone had to use PowerPoint, no? <laughs> so think of it as retro. <laughs> um, you know, I'm also fulfilling my destiny. Uh, keynote is retro now. I thought, anyway. <laughs> um, I think my destiny has been to, to navigate multiple worlds. And you know, there better be cute people lining up outside, because this is what I gave up to in Bombay to come here um, for. That's me sitting in the front row of India Fashion Week, which I do almost every season. It's part of my job. Yes, someone has to. Um, you know, I, I serve as editor-at-large of this fashion magazine called Verve, which if you don't read, you can find in Dostana, this big themed gay film uh, from 2008, which also was one of the top grocers in Bollywood that year. Go figure. Um, speaking of stuff like that. Um, I also look at the city of Bombay through the kind of writing I do, you know, besides, I mean, fashion and uh, cities and culture is the shallow side of me. I have a deep, meaningful side of me, which comes out at places like MIT, where I spent a couple of years and wrote a book like that. Um, and now I'm continuing to, to go through this crazy hyphenated experience of mine, um, you know, corporate, creative, academic, global, local, with all these hyphens. Like Baba says, you know, some of us live in the hyphen. Um, and in, 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 in that, I'm realizing that what I'm actually doing is I'm really looking at, at what it means to be, of course, what it means to be uh, urban, but also what it means to be modern and Indian. And um, I've actually decided to make this quest of mine into something that, uh, uh, that's a corporate job, and I'm working out of a, a corporate, out of a really progressive corporation called Godridge, which is a 120-year-old company in India. It's a big conglomerate, and I'm setting up, uh, I think, which for India, or actually for other parts of the world as well, is a as a unique kind of experimental space, where we want to, uh, you know, and and it's it's great to, to to hear say that USC is doing stuff like this. It's involved in, in Rio because these are also the kind of experiments that are coming out of out of Bombay and India. Uh, we're setting up this space called the India Culture Lab. We want to cross-pollinate academics, business people, and the creative class, and hopefully some policy people from the government if they come. But to play with these ideas of what does it mean to be modern in India, and what does it mean to be urban, 
What does it mean to be connected with technologies of change? What does it mean uh, to be young? What does it mean to be a woman? We want to answer these kind of questions through uh, white papers, through other through conversations, through different kinds of interactions, maybe through uh, creative and other kinds of projects. Um, so cities is, uh, you know, the urban experience is something that I'm very personally interested in. And now it's 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 what I do as well. Uh, one of the things that we did last year, and you know, we haven't put these videos up online, but um, I can send DVDs to those who are interested. Is uh, we actually organized a big event on what it means. How would we relook at a city as a space for magical possibilities instead of as just a place for problems? Um, because you know, in India, it's, um, cities are exciting, but they're also huge, huge, huge problems. We actually don't have um, like like Rio or like Singapore or like the UK. We don't have a creative industries program. We don't have mayors or people who are actually thinking of of, of shaping the cities and the country as a creative space. Everything that's being done is coming from from within, from below the ground. Um, so you know, so we we decided to do. A, a huge event on what it means to be urban, and it was it led to you know a series of ongoing conversations that we're still having, where we cross pollinated people like Homi Baba, who flew in from Harvard, next to like lesbian folk singers. Um, we cross pollinated academics with um, with activists, uh, you know, theorists with with, with practitioners, and it was a it was great fun more than anything else. It was very very cool as well, learning because coolness is really important. So um, clearly, cities are important in India. Cities matter more than ever. Um, you know, th th these are figures, but, and you know, there's many ways you can slice what it means to be urban. Looking at it from an entertainment perspective, I'm not really, and you know, you went here, right, for a, for a party. This is like the house of the richest man in the world, uh, apparently. He doesn't live there anymore because it's got bad vibes, but he just <laughs> built it. Um, um, you know, clearly there, so I'm not interested in, in, in political economy. I'm not interested in institutional or corporate links. I'm not interested in how Bollywood and Hollywood can come together and do billion dollar deals. All of that is happening. There are other people working on it. Um, there's CMS alums as well who are actually working on this Bollywood, Hollywood thing. There's Aswin who's sitting in Michigan. His, his next project is on um, you know, LA, Bombay, Bollywood, Hollywood links. It's very, very cool work. But what I'm actually interested in is what happens under the surface, as, as we were talking earlier, Mauricio, what happens in the margins. Um, and it's not, I, I think I'm interested in this well, because I'm interested in it, but also because you know we don't, we really don't have those kind of political economy things. So I wish we had a China policy, or actually maybe not, because we'll come to that. I want to counter a lot of what all of you have said earlier, and, and maybe we can have good debate, because I don't know if these things are necessary for places to be creative. Uh, but you know whether they are aren't or not, we don't have them. So we don't have policies from our government. We don't have uh, creative city uh, mandates. Uh, what we do have are people doing crazy and cool things. And that's what I want to show you over the next couple of minutes. But I want to make a couple of points first relating to Bombay. Now, first of all, you know, again, like every big mega city, Bombay has always, I, I use Bombay, not Mumbai, because I'm kind of attached to Bombay. You can call it whatever you want, right? Rose by any other name, as Shakespeare said. Uh, I, here, I prefer if you call it Bombay. So Bombay's always seen a huge migration. They can, but they can. Yeah, yeah, uh, from all over the world. Um, it's, you know, this, it's, it's just that off late, it's, it's always been a magnet for the rest of India, right? Just the equivalent is New York. Everyone from all over wants to go to New York. Bombay has been that kind of place. But over the past decade or of the past two decades, actually, it's actually been a magnet 
for people from all over the world. And these are both returning diasporic Indians as well as actually foreigners, people who've never been to India, who aren't just visiting India and who aren't just visiting Bombay, but who are setting home there, who are making it their own. And this mix of, say, locals, diasporic returning Indians and foreigners are creating is creating a lot of new possibilities uh, for entertainment and for city life in general as well. The second is there's a huge shift towards participatory uh, entertainment, participatory culture. And the city is actually a great playground for this. Uh, again, you know, we don't have these kind of, we do have institutional spaces, but all the exciting things that I'm seeing are collaborative, are pop-up uh, centers that come up in the middle of, say, you know, uh, unused land, and suddenly someone comes from Berkeley with like, um, high resistance, really lightweight pod kind of structures and builds like a three, three levels structure on it in which they have art shows and they have exhibitions and they have music and they have like that. I'm seeing, for me, that's the kind of exciting stuff that's happening, right? Um, and it's participatory, it involves the community, it's playful, it's exciting, and it's, um, I think it portends to what the future, I mean, I think a lot of that in, of the innovation that we see from cities will come out of spaces like this. I think that big organized, uh, government-mandated spaces, of course, have their role, but I don't think those can be the only one. I mean, at least I'm seeing a lot of magic coming out of these, these, these small, unorganized places. Right? The third link to that is that funding for these are also, is also coming from really unexpected sources. Um, there's all kinds of alliances. And you know, these alliances are both regional, uh, local, uh, national, and global. So British Council will support you know, something to do with like regional fashion, for example. Um, Bacardi will support something else completely my company will support something else completely. And what we're seeing is actually, we're seeing a whole range of subcultures that are coming up that are thriving both in conversation with each other, and I think that's very important, so whether it's music and arts, whether it's arts and uh, you know, video, um, and, or arts and animation, whether it's animation and other things, <clears throat> they're also thriving in conversation with the world. And fourth, in this imagination, actually, Bombay is taking, is also talking to India. It's not just talking to other urban centers, um, and those links are important, but there's also a great repurposing of the folk of regional, of traditional. It's a reshaping of it into this new idea, what does it mean to be Indian? It's, it's, it's these conversations about um, you know, rural and regional are actually coming into the play, and that's very, very exciting. So, um, and it's very, very strongly linked, not just to the entertainment uh, or, or the arts, or to the creative, or to the range of creative industries. It's also these links are str also strongly to innovation at large, to venture capital. There are places, for example, there's a place called the Hub, which is a free space for all kinds of ideas. I mean, you just have to take your idea and go there, and they'll give you a space and they'll give you a community to connect with. It could be across the arts, it could be a business idea, it could be. It doesn't matter. It's just a hub for all kinds of ideas. So these are the kind of places that are coming from. I completely agree with Parag's quote at the beginning that um, that we use that you know cities are going to are going to be the new it's it is the uh, it is the era of cities um, again um, but you know i want to show you some images of how all of this is happening on the ground in bombay but um, but before that i want to actually tell you again as we've discussed earlier that none of this is new cities have always been creative at least bombay has always been creative and bombay has always had this kind of cross pollination that I spoke about. I said there's people coming and doing exciting things that's always been there. For example, a friend of mine, Naresh Fernandez, has just completed an amazing book which will come out after a few months, which I urge all of you to read. It's called Taj Mahal Foxtrot. And in that, he talks about the influence of jazz, uh, more specifically about African-American jazz players who all came to India between the 1930s and 1960s and created, and you know, they, 
the mix of their music with Goan Indian musicians. Uh, and of course, there's reasons for why people came. There's reasons for why Goan musicians are receptive to these collaborations. Um, but it's, they, they actually created a new sound, which again, based on, because a lot of the Goan musicians who performed in say jazz clubs or whatever were also performing as background uh, music recorders for Bollywood. So, you know, jazz actually translated into Bollywood. So if you look at Bollywood films between the 30s to the 60s, if you look at the background score, it's all jazz. So it's very interesting, right? These links between, say, you know, global flows, between migration, between travel, between creative collaboration have always been there. And I think it's important as while we, say, create new templates for uh, a creative tomorrow, when we are connecting these cities, we don't ignore, we fold in these historical aspects. Maybe we see what we can learn from them. Um, it, it's, 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 yeah, I think it's more than legacy. I think it's um, their signpost towards uh, what could happen, because you know, we have to, it's, it's, it's always good to, to revisit the past. Um, so I wanna actually now take, quickly take you on a, on a, on a journey through, Bom through why I think Bombay is gonna be uh, one of the entertainment capitals of the world. We don't have as clean beaches as Rio, um, and we don't have, well, we have other kinds of carnival. I'll show you a picture of, of one of that. It's, um, but we do have a whole bunch of exciting things, uh, just like other, um, you know, creative hotspots. And I want to take you, I, you know, let's, again, I'm going to rush through these, but let's think of all, each of these as different lenses with which, because I'm actually, I'm disturbed when we talk about entertainment. We tend to mostly talk about paid entertainment. We mostly tend to talk entertainment industries, uh, whereas I think cities, you know, we have to take that holistic view of, 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 of creativity of, of, and of culture with, um, with a small C. Yeah. <laughs> so as an intellectual city, um, we have, very, very uh, tremendously creative places. Again, none of these are coming up because of uh, either the government or the city or whatever. They're all popping up uh, either because of people wanting to do it, because of corporations funding it. Uh, they're just coming and the money is coming up from somewhere, right? There's all kinds of spaces to have discussions on art, on culture, um, on urbanization. There are spaces in Dharavi. This is something called Herbs, which is a collective uh, in, in the slum of Dharavi where you know, they, uh, it's, it's both. It's a center for media training. So uh, young people in Dharavi are taught how to use media and then it's a space where they can record the slum experience and then showcase it as well. So it's very exciting. There's several efforts like this happening in Dharavi. Um, it's also a very interesting art city. Again, both in the kind of physical spaces that you have. Um, that's the, I mean, you can see, Victor, you can see influences from, from England, right? And that, 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 that used to be the VNA Museum until now it's become the Bhau Daji Lad Museum in Bombay. It's the Bombay City Museum. Uh, so certainly we have spaces like that, but actually what excites me are the repurposed spaces. So old warehouses that are become galleries, old rice mills which are not being used, old print, this is actually Project 88. It's an old printing press which has now become a very interesting art space. Uh, we have all kinds of interesting art that is talking both within gallery spaces that is talking to, to the Indian experience as well as to other trends in global art. But we also have, um, in terms of repurposing, this is actually, this is Anish Kapoor exhibit which was shown in Mehboob Studios. So Mehboob Studios is this legendary studios in Bandra where a huge bunch of hit films from the 60s and 70s, 50s, 60s and 70s were made. How interesting that it's, you know, the space gets repurposed as uh, as a space for this return. I mean, you know, Anish, when Anish came, came to Bombay, it was portrayed as, you know, the prodigal son returns home. Uh, I, I don't know if he acknowledged India while for, for his whole career, but it was, it was quite exciting 
to see this, at least for me, more than the art, it was how the space was used. It was, it was used very, to me very creatively. Um, and the art doesn't just you know, stay in galleries. It seeps out into, into all kinds of performance. For example, I love going for something called the Bombay Electric Project, which is every Monday, um, there's a huge bar which becomes a, a gigantic poetry slam, and anyone who comes up and recites a poem gets a free shot. So at the end of the night, you have a whole bunch of drunk poets reciting really bad poetry. And it's, it's the kind of, I mean, to me, this is the kind of culture that I like, culture that comes from below, culture that seeps up into the surface. Um, and we have so much of that. There's something called Blind Boys Project, which is, um, which is a huge group of photographers said, we want our photographs out of galleries. And so they just put up hundreds and hundreds of the photographs all over the streets of Bombay and said, anyone can come and see them, anyone can come and take them. And again, you know, so these experiments are happening. Uh, we, have, we have very specific local, both Bombay as well as Indian cultures that are, that are vibrant and thriving. For, at the, this is actually something called Dastan Goi, which is like, Several, actually, it's a few thousand-year-old storytelling tradition of tales, uh, of, of, of really, really old tales from the Arabian Nights, or, or actually even before. And people have, re have reinvented it and have uh, revitalized it. And these are becoming very popular as well. Um, we have people who project films on, on walls of slums um, and have exciting experiences. Uh, we have... Uh, uh, there's a huge culture of, say, tamasha, which is, which is very local Maharashtrian dance, but uh, it's queered sometimes by having, it's some, there's something called binbaicha tamasha, which I love, which is a bunch of guys dressed up as women doing that same traditional folk dance. Uh, so there's also a whole, and you can see someone getting ready for it um, over there. There's a whole underground scene on, uh, in terms of everything, whether it's art, music, film, um, video games. Um, you know, living in Bombay feels like a festival all the time because it's just this huge explosion all the time. But it's also in terms of other kinds of festivals. You know, there's there's a, it's, it, there's always something on. And to me, actually, because I've you know I've lived in other parts of the world um, and often for longer durations, I don't really feel alive anywhere else as I feel in Bombay. I haven't been to Rio, maybe that's why. But you know, when I'm in Bombay, it's like every pore of my skin is alive. It's electrifying. It's it's celebrating. Uh, uh, um, something, and I think it's, it's celebrating the fact that despite all these crazy things happening all around, like bomb blasts, um, um, or people killing each other because you know their, their, their car nicked someone else's car, there's still something very exciting uh, about about being alive and being and you know being human. And in all of these as well, in all these festivals, whether it's films, whether it's theater, etc., we see this. Old, we see old spaces being repurposed. So that is actually one of my favorite single screen cinemas. It's called Edward. And it often gets repurposed into this very exciting, they show like German films there, for example, during film festivals or whatever. Edward has historically been something that say working class people went to to watch really cheap Bollywood films, right? Despite its, despite its name. Um, so it's quite interesting as to how these spaces as well go through these different life journeys as well. It's something that I'm very excited about. Um, these are images from the Kalaghora Festival, which is this huge celebration for one week in the south of Bombay, where the arts, where performance, where street, everything comes together. People don't take their clothes off, but it's still, um, it's still great fun. Um, I think any, yeah, it's not sexy. Um, although keeping clothes on can be sexy too, you know? Um, sometimes, sometimes it's what you hide that, uh, that matters. I think for any city to be, that's what she said. At least for, for any, I think for any city to be, to be really creative and um, 
for the future of entertainment anywhere. I think a city has to have cafes and has to have you know meeting spots. And I think in that, um, I'm actually I'm, I'm going to nominate Bombay for having the best because the range of cafes. There's this cool, hip, barista kind of uh, coffee places where you can find art on the wall and like really expensive coffees. There's these old Irani chai spaces. So Irani Irani chai is I mean you know the uh, Iranis. There was a migration from Iran to India a couple of hundred years ago, and a lot of the a lot of the Irani uh, migrants started cafes, and there's still you know there, there's relics of these, and they're very very specific because they're normally run by really rude, obnoxious, sullen people. Um, Nizam Eskil, who who's to me is Mumbai's Bombay's poet, actually wrote a great poem um, on what happens in these cafes. Essentially. And these are actually some of the instructions that you go above every table, essentially. <laughs> uh, so we actually, so there's, you know, and what I'm finding now is that, you know, these, these hip contemporary 60 different type of coffee places are coexisting next to these Irani places. And there's this great magic happening. Um, some of them, of course, are, are shutting down and McDonald's is taking over. Um, but there are still a, a, a whole bunch of them left, which is exciting. Um, it's also, I think, for any great city to be, to, be, to be a truly global cultural city, it has to be a fashion city. And we have not just amazing, you know, we don't, not just fashion weeks and an amazing edgy fashion scene, um, but we also have, um, you know, street fashion in conversation with high street and the cutting edge, all of which get mixed up on fashion blogs, both Indian and non-Indian. So I think it's very exciting. I could go on and on, you know, it's, I, you know, I want to look at it through a walking city lens or whatever, but ultimately, I think what makes Bombay unique, uh, and I think it's slightly different from some of these other cities, is that it's completely user-generated. People don't care. Um, when terrorists come and bomb our city the next morning, we don't wait for like some government uh, troops to come in. We clean up our own streets because we have to go to work the next morning and we have to create and produce art and we have to enjoy our lives, right? So it's completely user-generated. More than any other place in the world, I would contend, Bombay is the place where people come to change themselves, to come to transform themselves. Um, global cities are all spaces for self-making as well as for finding community. And I see that so much in Bombay. I certainly saw that uh, while, while, while researching my book for three years. It's a complete user-generated city. Um, it's a city where you know people um, it's full of no-nonsense people, I, I think, like any other big city. So if there's something's not happening, if there's no media for young people, someone will create it themselves. If there's no uh, edgy uh, art or music or other scene, people will just, you know, create it themselves. Uh, people also, actually, in Bombay, what's happening is people are using technology in very, very interesting ways. So this is, these are just a couple of screen grabs from something called um, the Blank Noise Project, which is a project against... Uh, well, it's called Eve teasing in India, but it's actually against harassment of women, uh, where, where they used, it was a really sophisticated campaign of using Twitter hashtags, using Facebook, of saying, you know, everything. It was the, the online of, of all these specific actions, whether changing your photo, whether tweeting about this, whatever, were linked to very specific offline events, uh, where people went out on the streets, say, with big placards, saying, do you think staring at breasts is being rude to women? Do you think, you know, so, and people had to actually stamp and all of these. Linked to public performances, all of these were then photographed and then showcased in art galleries. So it's a, this, it's a several layered, nuanced, complicated project that took place and which, is, which to me was very exciting. So to me, this is what's exciting about a place like Bombay, that you can have all these things happening. People take part, people participate. Um, it's also a city where we have to, 
And this has been a recurring theme, I think, in, in my comments, where we have to create our own heroes because we don't have, um, you know, we, we can't count on institutional forces. Um, so this is Doga, actually. Doga is like, it's, and, and Gyan Prakash writes about him beautifully in his book, Mumbai Fables. I, again, if I urge you to buy a second book, I'd urge you to buy or to read uh, Mumbai Fables by Gyan Prakash. More than Maximum City, certainly more than Shantaram, it is to me the defining book of, because it looks at history in a very exciting, it looks at history through pulp novels, it looks at history through, through uh, um, you know, exciting murder record trials. It's a his, I mean, Gyan is a historian at Princeton, but he makes, it looks at history through comics. And he actually talks about the rise of Doga. And Doga is this person who comes, again, he's a person who, you know, he's, he's Suraj in the day and he's Doga at night. Uh, but he comes from the sewers of Bombay. Dogs are his best friends. And he, his villains aren't space people who are invading Earth or, um, you know, bad guys. His villains are like politicians and policemen and people who, uh, you know, who, who make lives in Bombay quite difficult for its inhabitants. So as a, like a cultural city, uh, like every other cultural city, we, we, we create our own heroes as well. Um, I'm just going to put up this slide with some links. Uh, all of you have iPads, so, you know, just feel free to select any random one and browse through it. Um, it's going to be great fun. I'm really looking forward uh, to the rest of the conversation. I have lots to say and I have lots to argue, actually, with everyone. So, please, let's start soon. I think that now that you said everybody's waiting for the argument, well, I think. Well, I think it's I, with, with, with both of you. Do you think? <laughs> I'm I'm quite skeptical about this thing that you can force fit either through, uh, which which seems to be actually either through a well thought out process or whatever, and a template on creativity, and that everything around the city will just automatically fit into the template. And I was just wondering if. You know, of course, you must have thought of that, but I'm just, I was just wondering if you I, have, I, I think, actually both of you, right. thoughts on that. I think the, the best way to start is to have a government decree <laughs> that everybody <laughs> will be creative mm -hmm. <laughs> by of Friday course. night, and it'll happen. Uh, that's being slightly mm. so I guess. <laughs> one of the things I missed in, in, in California is that no one is ironical or sarcastic. Mm. That's one odd thing about our culture. So it's great to come back east and be ironical and stuff like that. <laughs> I can't wait to go to Mumbai and be, to Bombay and be ironical. So no, I mean, the, you know, I think there are two pieces of this, is that there's some, th I mean, for example, you listen to what's happening in, uh, in Rio mm. and providing resources for local clubs or providing, as one of my colleagues went down from USC and worked with, they have kiosks that were set up to help local artists do their art. Yeah. And so I, I agree with you that sort of, that, that's why I think the historical piece is important. And you've really got to go back and see what made Mumbai or Bombay, Bombay, or LA, LA, and build on that. And that's probably, what, 60%, 70%, 80% of what's doable. But at the margin, if you do want to do some things, then I guess the question I was asking is, what kind of leverage do you have at the margin to enhance that experience, both internally and for other cities that want to learn stuff about, about how this works? So, you know, I, I, I wouldn't take, unfortunately for our argument, 
Uh, I won't take the strong version, but I think the weak version of the argument is there are things that can be done at the margin um, to improve people's lives within their own local communities and to begin to exchange ideas across communities, whether they're from Bombay to Hyderabad or from Bombay to Los Angeles. So, okay. sort of, yeah, so I, I mostly, unfortunately, agree with you. <clears throat> well, um, I think uh, the whole of government in this area is just to try to foster, to try to stimulate, and to uh, provide some tools that sometimes are difficult to companies or to uh, groups or to artists to have just for themselves. But that's the only role. Uh, we not create anything. We uh, not do anything. We just foster. We just uh, uh, stimulate. And money is one of the assets. Uh, governments uh, have money because they collect taxes. And so one of the ways that governments can uh, give the money back to society is uh, 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 creating uh, uh, <clears throat> ways to uh, make the money available for companies, for social groups, for artists, to uh, 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 help them to uh, shape their creativity into products or into experiences. And that's one of the things that we are really doing. But uh, since we started this, this project at uh, Rio Film in 2009, there was before uh, an audiovisual industry in Rio de Janeiro. The only thing that we did is uh, in 2008, uh, the audiovisual industry of Rio de Janeiro ha had 80% uh, of the market for Brazilian films. Nowadays, it have 95%, and the market increased 36%. So that's uh, something that we helped to do. Uh, the potential was there. The potential was totally there, and it was built for many reasons through the history uh, uh, of the city. And, but we helped somehow uh, with the things that we do to uh, 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 help the society to realize that potential and also to maximize uh, the, 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 the potential. And that, that's something that I really think governments uh, can do. That's, that's why uh, uh, it's, a good, uh, uh, it, it's good news when a government is open to uh, the agenda of uh, creative industries or creative uh, uh, cities. But uh, we have also to impose limits because sometimes when governments do, do things, they destroy. It's like the vampire dilemma, right? Uh, but uh, we have to, to, to have limits because uh, you know, this can be powerful, but this can be dangerous as, as, as well. And the limits can be, uh, uh, must be established by society itself. So governments should not do things uh, alone by themselves. What we did there 
was we had lots of meetings with all the audiovisual industry, with, with all the associations, all the, uh, um, all the stakeholders, right? Yeah, all the stakeholders uh, to define this, uh, this politics, the, the, this policy. Um, <clears throat> and we are always meeting with them and trying to see if what we are doing is really what the industry needs, if we're doing really what the people uh, need in this, this agenda. So we're trying, we are always trying to criticize ourselves, mm. to put ourselves on the window and to, well, uh, uh, reshape things if something that we are doing or not doing uh, well. But I think it's good news when governments are open I'm to just, the I was just, to I'm just, I'm just jealous, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you also you, you think about what happens when government does enact. I was in New yeah. Orleans recently after yeah. the flood, and the government did things to uh, promote arts in the high schools. And so each of the local high schools had their own kind of uh, uh, musical beat and musical style. Flood comes along, government doesn't have any more money, they cut arts in the schools. And one of the great catastrophes you see around the United States is that go local governments are slashing the budgets yeah. for culture. Maybe that'll be picked up by you know, the private sector, maybe it won't. So I think at, at the extreme, I think, Shahani, you can see that too much government, bad thing, not enough government, yeah. bad thing. So where in the middle does each culture? Yeah, yeah. I want to say something to... about that because uh, as a Brazilian, and I think that I think the framework is really important because it's a lens you put and gives you a perspective of building things. One of the model we developed it for the center is based on Ernie's book. And uh, the point is that what happens in Brazil is that, and that relies on what Sergio said about being the country, the country of the future. Is, and having a, I have a company that has an office here and in, in Brazil. Brazil is the, is, we are very creative. We are, we are good on improvisation, but we are terrible on method and process. That's a fact. We don't have methodologies. We don't have processes. We have a shortcut culture in Brazil. You have 10 steps, one to 10. In Brazil, if you can jump the three to seven and skip four, five, six, you're gonna do that because it's cool to, be, to improvise. But now we're in a moment that we have so many homeworks to develop and to deliver that we can only rely on people just being creative and making grassroots movements. So that's why I think that the frameworks or models or processes or methodologies, they allow us to bring the best of each stakeholder. Because what, what, what I think you showed, all the different cities that you showed, and that's amazing, those are frameworks. Mm -hmm. The user generated city is a framework. Yeah. The fashion city is a framework that works really well and as a system. And uh, I, I understand your point that let's avoid formulas, but I think that a framework is not a formula. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't want to avoid it. I was just questioning, and again, very broadly, because I look at, say, places like Singapore, which are also trying very hard to be creative, which also have a mandate from above. And it's a flop. Yet, I, I don't know if it's a flop, but I think it's, I just wonder if it's not something in the DNA. Is it something to do with, uh, maybe desperation, as 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 you know, as, as as you said, you said creativity is often used, uh, often comes out of just wanting to overcome adversity. Uh, maybe if you, maybe in Singapore, if you know you you built nice centers and say everyone who wants to be an artist will get 
you know, $50,000. Maybe that's not the best way to encourage um, creativity. I don't know. I'm not saying create adversity for people to be more creative. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, again, I'm not, I wasn't actually, I wasn't contradicting. I was just questioning okay. the narrative of, again, but <coughs> again, as I said, maybe I'm just jealous because we don't have all this in Bombay. So, um, yeah. I, I think we really have different realities yeah. and the challenges are, of course, uh, different. Uh, ours, I really think it's, uh, Rio has a lot of potential in terms of creativity. We have a stock of creativity which is very, very high. Uh, so what we lack or, or what we lacked was the capability of really transform this stock of, of, of creativity into development, into wealthy, into jobs, into industries. And nowadays, we face another challenge, which is uh, not uh, realize uh, and maximize this potential in an, uh, in an analogic uh, world, but in a digital one. So if we're building right now creative industries, uh, from, and we build it from the stock of potential, uh, of creative potential that we have, uh, but we, we must do in uh, the 21st century in a new, totally new, uh, new way. And <clears throat> I'd like to, to add one thing to, to that, which is if we think about the future of entertainment and not only the future of entertainment, but the future of knowledge, the future of uh, information as well, uh, <clears throat> we must build Companies, we must build works, we must build projects, okay. we, must, we must build expressions. Uh, exactly, it, considering the idea of the merging, the convergence of the physical world in which we live and breathe in, and the digital world in which we interact and exchange information, knowledge, and entertainment. Those dimensions will be just one thing soon. So uh, uh, we must work with this perspective. So uh, uh, a new kind of uh, a creative industry is a creative industry who can uh, 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 flourish in this new uh, environment in which the digital and the physical world uh, uh, collide and converge because it's a hybrid. Uh, it has to be a hybrid. Exactly. Yeah. Because it they will be one thing soon. I'd like to start to asking for the audience to start making questions and then I'll bring mine and so on. You wanna, Jonathan? You wanna go you need to go to the microphone and share your beautiful voice with the world. Hi, so I'm John Taplin, I'm the director of the Annenberg Innovation Lab. Um, I was struck by the wonderful picture that Parmesh put up of the American jazz players and the Indian musicians playing together. And I think... That was Dave Brubeck, that was Dave Brubeck. It was I, I thought yeah. Chet Baker was in the back too or something, you know. But, but I was struck by, you know, is that not the perfect synthesis of what we're talking about? Because needless to say, those same musicians went to Rio too, yeah. on their own. Mm. And 
Gilberto Gil gave them something. They learned something from there. And, and one would, could imagine that A.R. Rahman learned a lot from listening to those musicians. And somehow they came back to LA and they made the jazz they were playing in LA, because those were West Coast jazz guys, made it very different from what they were doing before. And I think what we're all trying to do is this combination of bottom up and top down. And all what's happening in Rio to me, what excites us about being involved with Rio is the government can be just a little bit of a catalyst, just add that little extra piece because the most of the money and most of the energy is going to come from people that have nothing to do with government and really, quite frankly, don't want anything to do with government. But if the government can just stick a little extra in there and, as Ernie said, bring those four elements of the quad together, then perhaps you have some success. Yeah, and I think that to that point that Jonathan just brought and, and getting what Ernie said in the beginning that's really important about the, the spice, the magical spice that will make other 300 cities that now are not creative, is that in the end, uh, what I believe is that the government will have, will have its role, uh, public sector, and not only uh, the government, but NGOs and all that, is that everybody wants to get a share of culture. That's the point. Yeah. So if everybody wants to have a share of culture, we're going to have more, uh, we're going to have different funding. Yeah. Because you have, we're going to have private companies, brands. You just gave Bacardi, and what were the other companies you, you mentioned? The two brands. Well, Bacardi is funding this great music festival. That's yeah, so that's the point. So the government is not involved, but it yeah. could be the government. We have many festivals in Brazil that are sponsored by the government. What we have now is that the roles are changing. We have brands. That's why the framework thinks that, okay, here's the framework. So what you can bring to the table that helps. Yeah that we have a Coca-Cola is talking to Sundance Film on yeah. developing content. That would, ne would never be imagined 20 years ago. So I think the corollary to this discussion of cities being the you know, empire and then cities, the corollary to that would be of, say, corporations being the next countries, right? So you have cities being the next, <laughs> being the future of, and so there's a conversation between cities who are <laughs> hotspots and corporations who are more powerful than countries, and exciting things happen at those intersections. But wow, actually, that's, well, I'm. <coughs> that's important. That was an aside. But <laughs> what I'm actually, what I'm, what I'm interested in is, and what I'm actually excited about is that you know multiple conversations are being had with different stakeholders, uh, like with the poor, like with slum dwellers, like with people who are on the margins while doing this in Rio, because the fear, and it's not the fear, it's the reality of what's happening in India, because India, as that, as you saw in that, uh, McKinsey slide. It's going to have all those, um, those many more people and those many more cities. There's actually 200 new cities being created in India from the ground up. A lot of these are private. A lot of these are, you know, these will not come up. So there's one in Lavasa, for example, which, which is particularly horrible to me. It's a, it's a private, um, it's a company, it's a builder, which, which just excavated a whole bit of, um, you know, a mountain and then created the city, put in an artificial lake. Of course, with all kinds of new cities, there are questions of equality, there are questions of locals who own the land, whether they're tribal or whether they're you know, farmers. It's questions of compensation, but also questions of imagination within the national you know, consciousness. Because when I went to Lavasa, I went there for a conference, everyone you know, who was out on the streets was you know, upper middle class, relatively rich, and you know, 
they didn't, and you know, everyone who was like in the service business, so it, whether it was a doorman who opened the door, whether it was the waiter in the restaurant, seemed to belong from that region. And it seemed that from owning land and from becoming, you know, and from having control of their lives, now they were serving um, different people. So I just fear, and I think this is happening in China as well, because you have all these new cities coming up. Uh, so I'm, I'm actually quite, I'm, I'm, it's, 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 it's hard to find to see that, you know, at least in some parts of the world, there are conversations being had with multiple stakeholders because these conversations are not being had in, in, in other parts of the world. So. Hello, I'm Ian Condry here at MIT in uh, Comparative Media Studies. Uh, thank you very much uh, for the panel. And the question I want to ask has to do with uh, the relationship between creativity and jobs. Uh, and, and I'm wondering in part because this word creativity, it's a great word. Uh, everybody loves creativity. It's like innovation, right? I mean, everybody's for it. Uh, and, and there's nothing bad about it. But it's also hard to know sort of how to get our heads around it and, and what is actually being created. Because um, I think you know, when we talk about this kind of creative industries, it's often making a film or a radio show or a CD or some kind of music. And, and that's fine. But we've also seen how financial services is Tremendously creative, they're good on making plots. How, how it defines things, right? And so, so it makes me wonder, you know, if creativity. So it, one of the reasons I ask. So I study Japan, uh, and Tokyo thinks of itself as one of these creative megacities, and has been very excited about anime going global and winning an Academy Award and and things like that. And it, and the government got behind it. Um, and, and yet, in terms of jobs, it's a complete disaster. That it, although anime makes jobs, it makes jobs in the Philippines and South Korea and China and Taiwan, but not really in Japan. Uh, and so, although it's a creativity of sorts, it's not one that's linked to local development, which sort of, I, I think it brings me back to thinking about Parmesh and, and how this idea of, well, where do you, how do you create creativity? Or when we're talking about that, aren't we talking not about creating creativity, but sort of new kinds of value and that jobs can emerge around. Um, and I guess my question then is, are there ways in which whatever this creative possibilities are, uh, they are creating new kinds of jobs? And if so, where are they? And it seems to me that it, the way to think about it might be in terms of platforms where people can participate and then new kinds of value emerges and then the jobs come that rather than, and it is a kind of top down, bottom up picture, but in terms of whether you design sort of new creative industries or whether you design platforms out of which industries and ideas that we haven't even imagined can emerge uh, seem to me two very different kinds of projects. And I'm curious if you have ideas of what has or might be successful. Uh, yeah, in principle, yes. Um, I think that's it. I think, you know, cities do say when they're trying to promote themselves uh, or promote particular projects, we're going to build an X and it will create Y number of jobs. I think that's putting the cart before the horse. I mean, it's, uh, you know, I have two sons and they are trying to be writers, regardless of the government, regardless of employment possibilities. You know, one is a waiter. And I think that creative people do what they have to do, not because of government edict, but because if they don't do that thing, they shrivel up and die. Yeah. And I think that's ultimately, we do this because we're human beings. Now, having said that, you know, the, 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 uh, the sports 
industry in the United States, just to pick that one country, is now larger than the automobile industry in the United States. So I'm not sure what that means, if it's good or bad, but so th there's something there, but I guess I would be skeptical in, in, in this argument about assuming that we're going to do these really cool art things that we saw in, in, in Rio and in Bombay, and they're going to create a lot of jobs. I think they create a lot of human spirit, and they, they, in, they enhance our lives, and they provide moments where we can express ourselves. And if they create jobs too, that's pretty cool. But with, with the one exception being um, probably some of the entertainment industries like Mumbai, like in, in uh, like Bollywood. Mm -hmm. But I don't know what percentage of the of the national job picture, but it's probably a big chunk of exports, or it was historically. Um, so I think it, it, and this is one of the things, if we move forward with a project well, like started this, measuring see, it. we've got they to do that. We started measuring it now, and at least in the UK, um, since you know, they had this big creative industries focus, they measure it very, very, because they need to justify it to spend on it. Um, so I, what I read recently about the UK, they said about 9% of their economy is based on the creative industry, and they actually broke it up into so many jobs. But it was a very wide, you know, everything from... Um, of course, animation, all the entertainment arts, but uh, touching upon everything else, museums, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, some places have a fix on it, I think perhaps, but I, again, I don't know if those are the metrics to go, saying from 8% we want to move to 12% without having all the other things in place. We, we have some uh, factual data about it. Uh, in, in, in Brazil, in average, uh, um, cultural uh, projects uh, raise or create uh, 123 jobs per each 1 million reais invested, uh, which is the double figure again, of 100, the 123 jobs per million reais uh, invested, uh, which is the double rate of the construction industry, okay, which is based on lots of people working. Uh, but I, I think the, the issue is not only uh, create jobs, but to have better jobs mm. for the people. people. Jobs where people can really fulfill their capabilities, uh, where they can be uh, creative, where they can be happy, when they can uh, uh, realize their, their potential. And uh, I'd like to share with you one example. Uh, Rio de Janeiro is nowadays one of the few, few cities in the world where we have, uh, uh, f um, I don't know what's the word in English, but it's a full job situation uh, wow. in, in full economic employment. terms, yeah. full, full employment. Okay, so in terms of, uh, it, it's an economic con concept when the uh, unemployment rate is lower than 5%, you have a full employment uh, situation. doesn't mean that everybody has a job, but everybody who can have a job, have a job. Uh, so that, that's the situation in Rio right now. The unemployment rate is, is around 4%. Uh, uh, percent. Um, we realized it uh, in 2009 that uh, we, we had lots of uh, 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 films being made in favelas by filmmakers from favelas, small small films, um, micro uh, length of films, 
they did it in, 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 in with uh, cell phones, they did it with small uh, photographic cameras, but realized that there was lots of people in, in favelas, uh, and, and, and they gathered together uh, uh, in, in groups like Nós do Morro, Nós da Favela, and uh, one of the films that uh, took advantage of this situation was uh, City of God. Lots of people who worked in, on the City of God from the came from favelas, actors, actresses, um, and so on. So uh, um, there was this uh, uh, well-known Brazilian filmmaker called Carlos Diegues. He was pretty much into this phenomenon of people in favelas doing films. And so he came to us with an idea to make uh, a feature film made only by filmmakers from uh, favelas. His, his role uh, was uh, the, um, the curator, the, curator, the uh, but he, he not did something d directly. So uh, uh, we, we did this project, we backed this, this project called Five Times Favela, and it was totally developed in a collaborative way. First, we had this script labs in different favelas in order to pick up Story so everyone could participate, bring their own arguments, uh, uh, and they chose in the end of this project uh, process. It was a one-year process of chosen arguments, five arguments, the best ones to be transformed in scripts. Then those who uh, uh, wanted to be script writers participated in uh, workshops with the best script writers in, in Brazil, like Braulio Mantovani and, and others. And they were trained and they developed together the scripts for those five short uh, uh, films. And then we did, uh, in a six months process, workshops for everything, for uh, camera, uh, photography, uh, sound, everything uh, that we can we can think. Everything More than one thousand people participate in this whole uh, uh, process. So at the end, uh, we reached one thousand people, and we generate three hundred and fifty full jobs during one year. And the result was this film called Five Times Favela, who was. Uh, the first film in many years, first Brazilian film in many years, selected to the official uh, programming of the Cannes Film Festival in 2010. And when it opened uh, in Brazilian theaters, it made uh, 165,000 tickets, and it was in the Brazilian uh, top 15 films. Uh, so people uh, in the beginning said, oh, nobody will want to see this film because it depicts the reality from the favelas and they, 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 they will make this film for, the, uh, for themselves and, and so on. And in the end, 165,000 tickets were sold to uh, this film and it had uh, a huge uh, a critical uh, um, uh, reception. And, and, and so on. I think it's a good example of uh, what we can do. Um, and, and you know, the most interesting thing is of these 1,000 people who participate, most of them uh, young people from 
18 to uh, 25, more than 80% of them, they had jobs. But they didn't want to uh, uh, keep working on the jobs that they, they had. They, they wanted new jobs, more creative jobs. So that's uh, uh, why they joined the, 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 the project. And most of them, most of those 350 who at the end uh, became directly involved in the production of the film, most of them are, are working in the industry right now in, in different uh, projects. And the seven directors of the five films, they became uh, uh, full uh, filmmakers. They are, all the seven are directing new uh, films right now. So it, it was a very uh, interesting and, 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 and winner, a winner project, very interesting. And it illustrates the idea of people who want to have uh, better jobs yeah, and not only more jobs. Right? Yeah. So, questions? Hi, uh, um, is this on? I was wondering, um, can you guys elaborate a little bit about how you guys think that creativity can uh, be an agent of social change other than creating jobs? Because I was interested in the project with Abertidio Souza, and then I was just wondering how do you guys th uh, see creativity in this, in this agent, uh, being an agent of social change? Okay, before I, I share that, I just wanted to, it's, it's very simple because getting what Ernie said and what Ramesh said is that creativity relies on making human behavior lighter and better. So the, what's happening right now, uh, in a country like Brazil, we have this huge opportunity, and I, I think it will rely on what we were discussing with, when Ian brought the question, is that we need to reinvent the models. It's not about be creative, create jobs, or create jobs to be creative later. That was the example that Sergio gave. He, he made the opposite of your question, and that's a great example of how the chain can, 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 uh, can, uh, can, can change. But What's happening right now in Rio is that, for example, we can develop through the center of entertainment, that's the future of entertainment, new tools, for example, for the health department in the city, using entertainment and education to change behavior, behaviors of millions of people because the, the city is seeing that the, the way they're, they're doing is not being so, so, how can I say that, productive. That's an example. How to develop new contents, new apps, new tools that will make people ha uh, change their health habits, how they're going to know about, uh, uh, how can I say, public services. That's, that's a, a simple example. That's why the, the, the city of Rio embraced the center, because they saw that, OK, I can develop new formats to reach people in favelas to go more to healthcare centers in the city of Rio, because they, they're, they can, they, that was an example that the mayor brought, like, mm. let's develop games, <clears throat> let's develop new formats that people in favelas will watch or they will access, and that will make them use more of the public services and give us feedback on how to, ma to make a better deliver, de delivery. So does that answer your question? Yeah. Okay. I think the, okay. Well, to answer your thing about can creativity Activity or bring about social change, well, it depends on what you do with it, right? For example, of course, there's so many great case studies of, you know, violence against women or whatever cause you want to take, like pick one. There's so many of interesting projects on them. But there's equally sophisticated examples of people using those same tools to actually put forward the agendas that 
to you and me might not be good examples of social change. For example, with the LBGT movement in India right now, there's online petitions, there's campaigns, there's art projects, there's oral history projects, all of that is happening. At the same time, you have the same tools being used by, and it's very interesting, with LBGT in India, suddenly, you know, all the religious parties, normally they want to kill each other, but suddenly because, United yeah, two years ago, the, the Delhi High Court finally decriminalized homosexuality. So now it's, you know, for the past two years, it's, it's legal to be gay in India. But all the, all the religious parties have come together on a common platform. Hindus, Muslims, Christians, they've all come together and they've all filed a petition in the Supreme Court. And they're using the same tools um, to, to spread their agenda. So one of the Hindu um, right-wing uh, godmen or whatever, you know, he's called a Baba. He has a TV. He has a TV show that goes on at 8.30 every evening, which half the country watches in which he combines yoga exercises with light spirituality. And it's what half the country watches, right? I mean, so he's using, you know, television, he's using, you know, social media, he's using all of it saying, and one of his favorite, he has two, he has a, he has a few pet themes. One of his favorite pet themes is that I can cure being gay with yoga. His second pet theme is that AIDS does not exist. So he has a few pet themes, but which he's using very creatively, and he's using these tools very creatively to, to, to spread. So is he bringing about social change? Certainly. Um, I don't know if it's a good kind of social change, right? So anyway. Uh, last question, because we have two minutes, and then, oh, you're going to ask something to Two questions. Yeah. Two questions. You can't say no, you're, you're, you're you can't say no your, to you're Sam. You're using your power, Sam Ford. Okay. So two more questions. And whatever you want, Sam. <laughs> so. I'm Alexandra from The Alchemist, and I have a question for Ernie Wilson. Uh, thinking about your model, uh, we were thinking that putting government aside for a moment and this, the whole discussion we just had, how the other stakeholders, the other corners of the squad could help to turn creative people into a creative economy? How could, for instance, universities or nonprofit organizations could help people to become more organized and turn into something financially more I don't know, important for the city. Okay. Let me try to answer it briefly. The, the sort of academic-y answer to that is to sort of flip it around and say that if you look at the places which today are the most innovative, they have that quad thing. So I want to start with that. Uh, and that, that's, I think I, we can show that, you know, like in using real data and so forth. So, the, the, but, but I think that's half the battle because if one knows that uh, Mumbai or Los Angeles or Silicon Valley or, or this area here, this is the classic case. If people around here are really, really creative because they do this thing and they have these conversations, it seems to me that's 50% of solving the problem because it means that universities like MIT or others in the neighborhood and nonprofits and local government and national government and the private sector say, hmm, if that's true, we need to figure out a way to talk to those people who we used to think were jerks. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Pointy-headed intellectuals, fuzzy-headed professors, rapacious, mean-spirited capitalists, <laughs> you know, irrelevant NGOs. Um, so I think what happens is that people say, well, you know, I don't talk to these other folks a lot, but I guess if I don't talk to him, my city's going to go down the toilet. 
So I think that is where, I mean, and then there's some specific things that you can imagine as, as well as I do as to how to get people to talk to each other. I think the first part, and that's what people in this room, because if you're at this particular place, you probably like ideas and you like to talk <laughs> and blah, blah, blah. I think that's sort of our job is to get that understanding out to the other folks. The pressure of being the closer. Um, a little on Twitter, we were batting, batting this around a little bit, so I thought I'd ask you all uh, your take. Uh, you all have been kind of historicizing uh, the, the the history of the city as a cultural innovator, and of course, the not city also has a history of creating deep and and rich culture. My hometown, uh, which is uh, the twin cities of Beaver Dam and Hartford, Kentucky. Hartford is the home of 2,000 happy people and a few soreheads, according to the town <laughs> sign. Uh, but, but where I'm from, they don't identify by name of city because the cities aren't large to speak of. We are all county, so I'm from Ohio <coughs> County, Kentucky. And uh, it's the birthplace of bluegrass music, which of course has had pretty profound international uh, reach and implications. So in this digital age where perhaps more than ever content uh, culture that's made in, in places that are off the uh, uh, off the the airport code map uh, has the ability both to be circulated like it never has before but also collaboration can happen now that defies geography so that people are working together that aren't located in these particular cities. So I just wondered your all's opinion. We've talked a lot about trends towards cities being where most people live in the next hundred years and cities being the new hub, but we also have new technology. Of course, broadband is a real problem. We've talked about that some on Twitter as well. Access to broadband in some of these places is still pretty sketchy, but uh, if that infrastructure continues to improve, how does the city, how do people then start to defy geographical location or does this content spread in new ways? Okay, so I'd like each one of the panelists to go through that to make your conclusion. Final words. Final words. <laughs> Through that. I don't have too much. All I will say is that uh, great question, long way down the road, in the sense that I have not been involved. I've been involved in very few serious things that I've put my heart and soul in where I didn't first meet the person to have a face-to-face -face human conversation. I can think of very few folks I meet online that I, now I understand there's a whole business that does, does that. But um, aside from that creativity, um, I think that it's dual, I, I don't have a lot of wisdom on that except to add, the, re, sort of reinsert the human element to it. And I think to be sustainable, that's critically important. But I hope my colleagues disagree with me in some way. Well, I have this crazy theory um, about how uh, the internet, the digital world, and social networks are transforming the world in a huge Brazil. <laughs> uh, Funny you should course, say that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of course, it takes uh, uh, about one hour to <laughs> explain that, but that's really what I'm, I'm thinking it's really uh, happening, uh, uh, because uh, all we have in Brazil is based in a social process in which uh, many people from different parts of the world 
were able to get together in one place, really exchanging their values, their cultural references, their repertoires. In an environment of tolerance and, and, and mutual uh, uh, understanding, which is very uh, rare because uh, most of the uh, history of the world is uh, in another direction. Uh, for instance, uh, I always heard about uh, New York as a melting pot city. And every time I went to New York, New York seemed to me like a place where you have lots of pots that never melt. <laughs> and I really, really think uh, somehow we, we were able uh, in Brazil, it, of, of course, it's not a, a, a fairy tale. We have problems, we have, okay. But in general, we managed somehow to have a really melting pot uh, uh, there. And, and that's the strength, that's the richness, and that's the power of uh, uh, Brazilian uh, culture. Uh, it's interesting that you mentioned uh, Gilberto Gil. He's my personal uh, guru, master. And uh, 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 Tropicalia, the, the music movement that Gilberto Gil is the uh, poster boy for, <laughs> for it. It's, uh, it, it totally represents how the cultural process in Brazil uh, um, were made during the uh, centuries. It's one, uh, what we, one Brazilian called the uh, anthropophagic, uh, cultural anthropophagic way. So we somehow are able to uh, eat everything. We are cultural, kind of- Cultural cannibalism. Yeah, cultural cannibalism. We are, we, we are antens, we kept lots of things from around the world, and somehow we are able to make it our own things and so give back our totally new and different things. So that's the uh, cultural and the social process uh, in, 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 in Brazil. And I really think the uh, uh, true internet, true social network, through the uh, world <coughs> digital uh, uh, environment, we are making uh, this uh, a global thing. Because finally, uh, we, you not depend on immigration waves to have access to other cultures. other cultures, to other values. All you have to do is to be open, to be curious. You can have access to everything humanity done in the whole history of humanity right, right now through those uh, gadgets and through networks. So it's up to you to take advantage of, of that. You have to be open-minded, you have to be curious, you have to go after, and then you, you can absorb things from around the world, values, signs, and uh, uh, um, products, experiences, and then make it your own and create things and uh, exchange things with lots of other people creating a new cycle, new cycle a vital cycle, and, and so on. That's, so uh, I'm sorry for to, to care time, but that's why I'm calling this uh, a huge uh, uh, Brazil. But I really think through uh, those uh, new technologies and the new behaviors uh, related to it, 
we can really create a melting pot world. That's what we are doing. So to answer, you know, the world has always had curators and the world has always had influencers. And I think more often than not, these people have lived in cities. Um, so talent has always come from everywhere, um, but it has to be mediated, it has to pass through the funnel of either cities or curation in today's world where things can rise to the top or influence. So something can come through a fashion blog and 100,000 people can like it, it can be noticed. Or Anna Vintour can like it and feature it in Vogue. But it has to come, it has to come to the attention of something called the general public. But I think while we are studying these, we're not really looking at ecosystems. And this is something I've become more interested in looking at. So maybe I am moving towards a political economy kind of thinking. I hope not, but <laughs> let, let me, um, so I'll, I'll just give you a story, right? So I have this friend called Jenjum Gadi. He grew up in a little village called Tirbin in Arunachal Pradesh, which is a state in the northeast of India, full of violence all the time. Um, and he grew up not knowing English or Hindi. Um, he knew his local language. But one day when he was like 14 or 15, he happened to read as an eight-month-old Femina. Femina is like this middle-class women's magazine. It's not up there with Vogue Bazaar. It's this middle class. It's I, I, what would be equivalent? Good housekeeping, I suppose. And in the, and in the pages of that, he discovered um, you know, that he liked clothes. But now... You know, so now how did this person get from that village to not speaking anything? His village didn't even have electricity or water. I mean, just think of all those journeys that he made, right? From non-language, uh, from non, you know, what the world thinks of as language, to, 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 to learning a language or learning languages that he can communicate in. From Tirbin to Delhi, from, you know, lying to his parents that he's, he needs to go to a, you know, not just to a state capital, to the capital of India, because he wants to be an engineer to then lying and then enrolling in fashion school, right? But it's also these other journeys of, none of this would have happened if there wasn't, if there weren't fashion schools all over the country. His work would not, wouldn't have been noticed. First, he had to be really good, so he topped his class. Then he had to have spaces to show his work. And so there's a fashion, there were fashion shows happening. Then this, the, his work had to be written about. So there are magazines, right? There's a fashion magazine explosion in India. And finally, there has to be a market for him to like earn money so that he doesn't have to go back to his village or become an engineer or whatever. There has to be, a, there have to be, cons there has to be consumers, right? So we have to look at this within, I think, by looking at the entire ecosystem. And within all of this, what, where do small towns, villages, or people that we don't conceive of as cities play? I think it's the same as anyone. It's not easy for someone in living in a city to like, you know, record a great piece of music and be noticed. I think you have to go through the lens of curation and, and uh, taste making maybe, you know, even harder because you're competing with other really talented people in the city, so. Yeah, something that I wanted to put to that uh, point that uh, Sam brought is that, and uh, that's why I'm loving this conversation, that now in the world, we have this opportunity of have what we call, in the alchemist, we call it grassroots block busing. That's the moment we are now in the world. <coughs> how we can have the grassroots examples that Parmesh brought, that Sergio brought, and mix it with all the blockbusting success that LA, who represented here by Ernie, how we can manage to balance grassroots with blockbusting. So those cities, they need to go through that journey. It's, it's, it's like that. It's like Soja Boy, remember FOE when Henry brought it for the first time? We have 2,000 Soja Boys there about to be discovered. But the cycle is the same. But now, how can we manage grassroots culture and block busing methodologies to make new revenue models and even how to get a 3,000 people city in Brazil to, 
to come alive. I think that uh, when Anna Dom developed the Techno Braga study, and that we brought, like, we compared Tom York to Shimbinha, who is uh, like the opposite grassroots against blockbusting. How Radiohead is not so good as a guy, corny music from the north of Brazil. So that's the moment we're now, I think. How to manage to make grassroots blockbusting. One more question. Or... Sure. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.